Good morning and welcome again. We're glad that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 18. Specifically in our text today, we want to look at verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. The theme of our study today, we cannot afford to be silent. These are difficult times in which we're living. The nation that we call home is under attack. And sadly, those of us who belong to the family of God are being persecuted. There are many, many folks in our country today that, quite frankly, have snubbed God. They have chosen to leave Him out of their lives. And there are people today that want us to be tolerant of any and everything, and yet they are intolerant of our beliefs, of our convictions. So I want us to look at Acts chapter 18 and note the work of Paul in the city of Corinth. I want us to begin our study by, first of all, noting the request that has been made of the Apostle Paul. Look again at Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Here's what Paul was instructed by God to do. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Let me just very quickly give you the background to the request that was made by God. Luke, in his narration of the events in the life of the Apostle Paul, begins in chapter 8, 18. Of course, Paul had been in the city of Athens, and now he is in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was southwest of Athens. If Paul had traveled by sea, it would have been a day's journey. If he had traveled by land, it would have been about two days, the distance being about 41 miles. And so first, we read of the friends with whom Paul labored. The text says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. The time here would have been the early 50s. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. Now, Paul was a man that wore many hats. He was, as we would say, a scholar in the Jewish law. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and yet... Following his conversion, the Bible tells us he became a, a great evangelist, a great teacher, a missionary. He wrote many books in the New Testament. So he wore a lot of hats, and then by way of vocation, he was a tent maker. And so we think about the friends with whom Paul labored. But then notice, notice if you would, the foes who opposed Paul's labors. In verse 4, Luke said, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, 
Paul was constrained by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And so Paul, as was typical throughout the duration of his ministry, his missionary endeavors, he oftentimes faced opposition, persecution. But now if you would, note the fruits of his labors. In verse 7, Luke said, And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. And so, Paul did a lot of good in the city of Corinth, ultimately, as we read the inspired record. But this is somewhat of a background to the request that is made of Paul. But now if you would, note for just a moment or two the basis or the boldness that was to be characterized in the life of Paul. Look at verse 9. In verse 9 again, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. And God said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. First and foremost, God said to the Apostle Paul, I want you to be brave. I mentioned just a moment ago that these are difficult times. And we are living in a day and time in which, by and large, our country has abdicated itself from the will of God, the ways of God, the word of God. And there are a lot of folks that have, as I mentioned a moment ago, quite frankly, snubbed God. They have said, either verbally or non-verbally, we're not interested in living the Christian life. We're not tolerant of your ways. And yet God said to Paul and the long ago, do not be afraid. Today we need to be brave in our defense of New Testament Christianity. We don't have to be haughty, arrogant, or caustic. But we do need to be bold, and we need to be brave. When God commissioned Joshua many, many centuries ago, Joshua, of course, assumed the mantle of leadership from Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. And God said in the long ago to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. And so, we like Joshua, we like the Apostle Paul, cannot afford to be fearful. But rather, we need to be bold and we need to be brave. And there are a lot of folks today that would want to intimidate us. They would want to try to impose their will upon us, that we remain silent, and what God said in the long ago is, first and foremost, you need to be brave. And then he said a second thing, you need to be a broadcaster. That is, you need to be a voice for me in the city of Corinth. Now, listen again to what he said, verse 9. Do not be afraid, but speak. And note what he says, do not keep silent. Now, you can go back and look at the book of Acts. The Bible talks about 
the works of the apostles. Specifically, I think about, I think about the apostle Peter and John. When they were commanded by the Sanhedrin council not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, look, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, when you look at the city of Corinth, the people that lived in the city of Corinth lived, they really lived base and ungodly lives. As a matter of fact, the city was well known for idolatry and immorality. And yet God said, look, when you go to the city of Corinth or while you're in the city of Corinth, you can't afford to be silent. But he said, you need to speak up. You need to be a voice for me in this great city. Now, if you look at the teaching, the preaching of the Apostle Paul, and I think about the importance that rests upon us in terms of being a voice for God in this community, in this county, in this city, in this state, really, in this nation. We can't afford to be silent. When you look at the writings and when you look at the endeavors of the Apostle Paul, there were some things that stand out about him. Did you know that Paul was pro-God? In other words, he believed in the one true living God. We live in a day and time in which many people have made concessions. They've compromised. There are folks in our country today that say, you know what, you really don't have to believe in God. There are folks today that say, you know what, we really don't know if there is a God. They're agnostic. And then there are those that would say, well, you need to be tolerant of what we would call idolatry. When Paul was in the city of Athens, the Bible said his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. And you know what he did? He preached to those people about the one true living God. He said, God who made the world and all things therein dwells not in temples made with hands. Now let me just pause there. When Paul went to the city of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he told those people that if you're living in idolatry, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Was that politically correct? No. Was it biblically correct? Absolutely. Now you think about the day and time in which we're living. And we're living in an era today in which there are folks that will say, you know what, you need to just accept all gods. Paul didn't. We can't afford to be silent. Did you know that we're living in what's been called a post Christian nation not only are we to be pro-God we are to be pro-Jesus salvation is exclusively in his son the writer of the book of Acts Luke in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 said neither is there salvation in any other there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved what Luke was saying in the long ago is there's only one way to be saved. Here's what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Is that narrow? Yes, it is. Would that be dogmatic? You better believe it. Would it be true? Yes, it is. Again, I think about the work of Paul in Corinth. When he wrote his second letter to them, he said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, here is Paul lifting Christ up. 
to a city that was lost and dying in sin. They needed the gospel. And so here is the Apostle Paul in this city recognizing the deep needs of these people, preaching the gospel to them. Paul was pro-God. He was pro-Jesus. Let me tell you what, he was pro-life. Paul believed in the sanctity of human life, didn't he? Did you know that we have people in our country today that have no problem with abortion? Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, Murderers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. When somebody has an abortion, murder takes place. Who's going to represent that innocent soul in the womb of his or her mama? We need to do that. Let me tell you what, the Supreme Court's not going to do it. They sold this country out over 40 years ago. Over 50 million babies have been aborted in this country alone, about 58, 59 million. Now you think about the, stagger, the staggering statistics associated with abortion. And here is the Apostle Paul saying, look, you can't be a murderer and go to heaven. Doesn't matter if you're a politician, doesn't matter if you're a preacher, doesn't matter if you're whomever. You can't commit murder. As a matter of fact, Solomon said, God hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. Proverbs chapter 6. Are you trying to tell me that you're pro-life? You better believe it. I am pro-life. I don't have a problem telling anybody that. I believe in the sanctity of human life in the womb as well as out of the womb. And I would say this as well. Paul would have been pro-Mary. He said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals? When I began preaching many years ago, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would have to define marriage for people in this country. I never dreamed that. I never dreamed that I would have to, that I would have to stop and tell people, okay, this is what constitutes marriage. I know what the word on the street is. I know what the politicians have said. I know what the Supreme Court has said. What they say is, Two men can be married together. They'll say two women can be married together. But what about, what about the definition of marriage? Let me give you a definition of marriage, and I want you to understand it's not my definition. I want you to hear what King Jesus has to say about marriage. In Matthew chapter 19, the Bible tells us that the religious leaders approach Jesus. And they ask this question, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And here's what Jesus asked. Have you not read? Have you not read? Let me tell you where all of the problems that we're talking about this morning, where they stem from. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. People don't know what the Bible says. They don't know. I wonder how many senators and congressmen have read Matthew chapter 19. I wonder if our president's read Matthew chapter 19. Let me tell you what, if he knew what the Bible had to say, never in his wildest dreams would he have ever supported 
rainbow colors at the White House following the Supreme Court's decision regarding gay marriage. He wouldn't have done that. And if we were wise in this country, we'd stand up and speak out. Jesus asked the question, Have you not read that he which made them in the, in the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Are you trying to tell me that you believe in the sanctity of marriage? And that you believe homosexuality is wrong, it's sinful? That's exactly what I'm saying. And I don't care if it's the president, I don't care if it's a senator, I don't care if it's a congressman, a mayor, whomever. God has spoken. And by the way, does Jesus know what he's talking about? When Jesus said what he did in Matthew chapter 19, did he have the right to legislate marriage in the lives of people? Yes, he did. How do I know that? Because in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And God the Father said in Matthew 17, verse 5, We are to hear him. That means we listen to what Jesus said above the Supreme Court, above Congress, above Senate, above the President. Because God's law trumps human law, human law every time. So, we've got, to, we've got to speak up. We've got to have the willingness to say, to say what we believe. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, We believe, therefore we speak. You know what he was saying? We've got some convictions. How deep are your convictions? Do you believe this book? Do you believe this is the Word of God? Do you believe that what God says is true? Did you know that there is coming a day in which every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give an account unto God? So then we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to be held accountable for what we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say? Listen again to what God said to the Apostle Paul, do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. We cannot afford to be silent. We need to have some courage and conviction. We need to be like Peter and John when they said, we can't but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Do you have that kind of convic conviction? Do you believe that deeply? Do you believe that what God has said is true? you believe that? If you do, there's no way under heaven you'd be silent. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our text. First, the request. Second, the reassurance. God said, do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. Now listen to him in verse 10. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. Let me just pause there for a minute. God made a promise, didn't he? God said to the Apostle Paul, first and foremost, look, I'm going to stand with you. When we stand up and when we speak out, when we voice our convictions, we need to understand that we're not doing this alone, but rather God is with us. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he talked about the persecutions and afflictions that he faced in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
He said, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All he's saying there is, look, you want to live a godly life, you need to expect to be persecuted. You can just mark it down, it's coming your way. If you're pro-God in this day and time, you're going to be persecuted. You believe Jesus is the Son of God, He's the only way to salvation, you're going to be persecuted. Do you believe in the sanctity of human life? And I, I believe you do. You're going to face persecution. Do you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman? And I believe you do. You're going to be persecuted if you say you do. In chapter 4, Paul said, At my first defense, no one stood with me. He said, I pray God that it may not be held against them. But he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that through me the message might be fully preached, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion. And he said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever. So here's the apostle Paul, and he's saying, look, I didn't have a lot of allies. Matter of fact, I didn't have anybody standing with me, but God stood with me. When we stand up and speak out, we need to understand God will be with us. Not only will the Lord stand with us, but He will strengthen us. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Lord stood with him and strengthened him. When he wrote to the saints in Philippi, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, there is a source of strength that we have in the Lord. So, I think about this great reassurance. There is a reminder, a third thing I want you to see very quickly in Acts chapter 18. Note if you would again, verse 9, Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Here's what God was saying to Paul. Paul, you need to understand, I am interested in the lost. Now look at the city of Corinth. Corinth was knee-deep in sin. There were folks in that city whose lives were messed up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, extortioners, revilers, shall inherit the kingdom of God? And then he said, and such were some of you. God is interested in people who are lost. It might be the case that, that we have forgotten that. There are certain cities in our country today for example, Chicago. Chicago and Memphis are probably running neck and neck in terms of homicides. And there are folks in these two cities that have no respect for human life. And yet God still loves those two cities, doesn't He? When you think about California, San Francisco, San Francisco has really in many respects come to stand for homosexuality. And yet God still cares for those people. Paul went to the city of Corinth and God said, look, I don't want you to be silent in Corinth. 
I want you to understand that there are a lot of folks in this city and they are lost and dying in sin. And there are a lot of people in our world, in our community, in our city, in our county that are lost and dying in sin. We have the gospel of Christ and the question is, are we going to share it or will we hold back? God is interested in lost people. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 1, he detailed for people of all ages the sinful state of the Gentile world. Chapter 2, he said the Jewish, the Jewish people, they're under sin. Chapter 3, he said, look, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. You know what people need? They need the gospel. What they need in Athens? They needed the gospel of Christ. What do people need today in Olive Branch, in Mississippi, in the United States? They need the gospel, don't they? Paul said in writing to the church at Philippi, he said that we are among an ungodly nation of people. But he said we're to shine as lights in the world. So God said, look, I'm interested in people. There's a second thing he said, and that is, you are the instrument to reach the lost. And that's, that's where we come in. We are the human instruments to reach those who are lost and dying in sin. If we want to save this nation, then, it's going to have to, then the responsibility rests on us, doesn't it? Those of us who belong to the body of Christ. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. Do we have the courage and the conviction to reach out to people who are lost and dying in sin with the gospel. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Paul went to the city of Corinth, the text tells us he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Think of all the lives that were changed in Corinth. What happened? They heard the gospel. They heard it, they believed it, they obeyed it. Paul said, you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. When we preach and teach the gospel, you know what it does? It elevates people to a better way of life. What our nation has said is this, we don't need God, we don't need His Word, we don't need His ways. And what God is saying is, you don't understand, you do need my Word, you do need my ways, you need to follow my will. Our nation is upside down, the lives of people all across this country torn up hurting guilt ridden and everything else and the answer is the gospel look we can't afford to be silent did you know that every single second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every year People are stepping out into eternity. The Bible said, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. The Hebrew writer said, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There are folks in this world that are going to be in the next world before the night, before the night comes. Many of those people are going to stand out in, they're going to step out into eternity without God, without any hope. And the only remedy is Christ and His Word. So, could I encourage you, don't be silent. Don't be afraid. 
in a kind, loving way, you stand up and you tell somebody, look, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says, and what God says is true. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could we encourage you to come to Christ? Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That means unless you believe He is the Son of God, you don't have any hope. And then repent. That's what the people in Corinth did. They repented. They turned from their sinful ways. And then to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. Would you be immersed in Christ so that all your sins can be washed away? Acts 22, 16. Acts 2.38, when you do that, God will add you to the church, Acts 2.47. And then just be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life. If you're here today and you're not faithful, won't you come back? Won't you come home to a loving God who will abundantly pardon 1 John 1.9 as we stand and sing?